Hello, David. Hello. So I'm really happy that you are here to talk with me today. We've had lots of recorded or live chats on this channel, all in the context of solid ground live streams. Mm -hmm. But this is an opportunity to sort of talk one-on-one -on -one and, and, and hear a little bit more about your, your backstory, who you are, how you got involved in these conversations and and what this experience has been like for you. So I'm really happy to have the opportunity. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Leslie. Absolutely. So a lot of people will recognize you from Solid Ground, but would you mind sort of uh, giving yourself a little introduction, tell people a little bit about who you are and how you got involved? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I'm David, David Simpson. I am a Solid Ground group facilitator at the minute, and some people on your channel have joined Solid Ground and maybe are already on the on the groups and getting involved in the community there. Um, so I'm a I'm a I'm a Brit, as you can probably tell, um, and I'm on on my second year of a clinical psychology course in the UK, and. So I guess I came about to understanding, I guess everyone always, um, everyone asks themselves, I guess, when did they first start kind of coming up against this stuff? And I'm not completely sure when it was that I came up against this stuff or started becoming aware of it in, in my material world. But I guess I was definitely hearing about things on, on, on the news. I was, I was definitely consuming content on YouTube and things like that. And I think, like probably like a lot of people locked down and George Floyd had a had a significant it was a significant turning point in which um I noticed things happening in the profession I was working in and I noticed things obviously amongst even amongst friends people conversation was sort of changing a little bit I was I was aware of things I guess starting to change maybe even if even a year or two before that I think George point George Floyd was a sort of focal point in which in which there was there was a sort of a powder keg moment so I guess um as an a as a clinical psychology trainee at the moment I've had to have gone through a few steps to get to where I am and I was an assistant psychologist in uh sort of a place called Essex in the UK a county and um I remember I remember after George Floyd during lockdown even having conversations with my supervisor um about some of the departmental um information that's being sent around or kind of the initiatives that were being discussed there was a letter that was being asked to be signed um by by people willing to sign it and i, I it was a letter which which was collecting signatures around i think how white people should talk to their black colleagues um after george floyd and it was it was um i remember reading it and thinking this just doesn't feel right this just this is this is wrong this is so it's not going to facilitate understanding. Um, it feels very fear-driven and it feels very blaming. Um, and it was saying things like uh, white people should acknowledge that they um, don't have a don't have a a say in in how how they can communicate with us or something like that. Or white people should um, not act surprised when they hear about the oppression that has been happening to us. There was all of these rules about how people should react, how people should talk. And I just thought this feels really icky. Um, and I just brought it up with my supervisor at the time. And she sort of, 
she said, well, it's time we moved aside, was her way of phrasing things. It's time we moved aside. She was a white lady. So she said, um, I take what you're saying. And and I think I said to her, like, where can we go to talk about these issues a bit more? Like, I'm not quite sure about um, some of these ideas. And I'd like to just build them out a bit more. And um, she said, uh, there are spaces you can go to. Maybe we should set up some white male groups <laughs> in which you can you can go there and maybe talk to people of a like mind to you. And I just said, doesn't that make you feel about uncomfortable? The idea that you've you've put, put me in a bracket and said, you should go and find your group. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of she said, sort of, no, not really. I'm, I'm quite happy to talk about things like, like race, racism, and uh, inferring somehow that I was unable to talk about these things. Or I was uncomfortable talking about these things. So anyway, that was like my, that was the first moment I thought there's something seriously wrong. And then mm-hmm. I guess I started now thinking, okay, I'm aware of this. Um, I'm now trying to get onto a training course. So I spoke to a, a, a I think she was, it was a first year trainee on the course that I'm currently on. And um, she told me to, to, to really kind of make sure that I get onto the course. I should tap on certain, certain interest points. And one of them was to talk about diversity. And I said, well, what have you done so far on the course that's to do with diversity? And she said, well, um, there's a book, White Fragility, that's been shared. I think you should go away and read and that's when I sort of started thinking okay right this is the same stuff as before um and that's when I re- that's when I reached out to Helen Pluckrose because I saw Helen Pluckrose had been on um a trigonometry episode it was like it was like a little moment of just kind of going there's like a shining it was like Helen was just like a shining light so it was suddenly a moment of going this is the person I need to speak to because she's talking about exactly what's happening at the moment and she had the organization counterweight so I just emailed the via the website and said, this is kind of my situation. I'm interviewing for a course I've worked really hard to get onto. I'm now faced with a, with a, with a, with a dilemma of thinking, well, I, I want to be able to talk about myself and my feelings about things, but I also don't want to scupper myself or be ousted as a racist or something like that in a, in a 45 minute interview. I've got not that much time. And anyway, Helen, Helen got back to me and said, um, would you like a chat which was amazing so we had a like a zoom catch up and she explained how we could get through and it just made me feel so validated to hear her explain why i why my fears were were, were warranted why there was a reason why i felt um, my individuality was being stripped away why i got this icky feeling and to put words to it and to put a bit of theory behind it but also make me feel validated was such a powerful thing that i said right well you've done so much for me. I'd love to do something for the organization because counterweight was still quite new at the time. And so she off, she said, what would you like to, would you like to do a peer support group? Um, and I thought, do you know what? I'm spending so much time digesting this stuff and, you know, maybe not even talking to people because I don't have the spaces around me to talk about it. I'd love to put it into something positive. I'd love to do something with all of the kind of resource that I'm building up in my own head <laughs> so I did that and for about a year um a year and a half I had a great group of people some of which are now um on solid ground who were intellectually curious sort of such lovely people who are such lovely people who who, who really want to kind of um get into the nitty-gritty of things and don't mind um spending time and having a bit of patience for for people like people like myself or other people coming into the group who've not been into the group before to, to just explore ideas. And I think that's just, that's such a refreshing thing. And that's what I get from the group so much. So yeah, that was, that was counseling and now, now solid ground. And obviously you guys and Jody 
um, and, and Jen. And it's just it's just a continuation of that, really. I think this peer support stuff that, that we do has been so powerful because I've had the lived experience, if we can put it in that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it's that, that experience that you had when you spoke with Helen and she was able to sort of articulate and validate what you were going through you're yeah. able to do that and and give back to people and give them a similar sense of validation and reality checking yeah. that you were able to receive. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not, I, I feel like it's very much led by the guys in the group as well as, I mean, I'm, I'm part of it as well, but I'm sort of facilitating what is a group environment of, of like-minded, not, we're not always like-minded people. We do have our differences, but it's, 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 yeah, it's people that have come together with a, a curious nature and open-mindedness but also a sort of a softness which is that we can say things we can we can uh, you know throw things out sometimes that are completely un unthought through sometimes that's the beauty i think of, of doing these things it's like it's like we can help each other sort of build build up our own arguments and i've learned so much more about what it is i believe in and what i stand for i guess as a result um and i don't think i really gave that much notice a few years ago in the same way well, and it's and it's so different from what you were offered when you spoke with your supervisor when you were initially told we're going to do it this way we're going to we're going to conceptualize race this way and if you want to talk about it why don't you go find some other white men to talk with it about and we'll set up a, a white man's group to to talk about these things and instead yeah. you're in a group of just you know it's in the irony is that this was a diversity in, initiative. And what you've got now is so much more diverse exactly than exactly. what that was <laughs> yeah exactly totally different mm-hmm. totally different and 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 i guess just to add to 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 to, to what i was saying as well that, that that the the course that i'm now on is 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 something that i have an ongoing you know there's always things that are coming out of this course that mm-hmm. you know have leave me a little bit i don't know what can I say? Leave me a bit bruised sometimes, or I'm sometimes feeling like I'm fighting stuff, and sometimes I feel like I'm not and taking a backseat. We can get into some of that if you're interested. But it's like um the group itself for me is a place, is like a place to kind of just offload and just say, Do you know, mm. you'll never guess what the stupid frigging thing was said today, you know, by 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 these people. And it was, and no one challenged it. There was no sense in which anyone had the ability to challenge that or even laugh about it, use humor to kind of just go, isn't it ridiculous? And yeah, I can come to the groups and and we can do that. And it's just mm-hmm. so healing for that, for that mm-hmm. purpose, really. It's it's interesting that I guess there's so many points along that just that brief narrative that you've given of your experience that are that's I don't even know where to start. For one thing, it's interesting that in the UK, the George Floyd events were interpreted the mm. same way that they were in the US. That That is, it seems like it was an American systemic issue that was being highlighted by what happened there, police brutality and the militariz- militarization of police and the the thing that was, that we were supposed to be talking about was the specific racial dynamic of of policing. Is it the same in the UK? I, I didn't realize that the dynamics were the same, but it sounds like it was taken that way, at least from an administrative standpoint, and you were expected to address and feel exactly the same way we were directed to address these issues and feel. Yeah, I mean, we had, um, 
we had sort of uh, factions of the BLM um, in in the UK, and mm. uh, you know there was a parade that went through London at some point. That was uh, that was uh, was it was it was it a nod to the Ferguson shooting? But it was the hands up, don't shoot. Um, the the kind of there was the Ferguson shooting in America, wasn't there? Where there was a guy who allegedly, I think it's now been disproven that that well, there's been no evidence showing that that that, that he did say hands up, don't don't shoot me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that became a, a that became something that the BLM um, protests would chant is hands up, oh. don't shoot in memory of the guy from Ferguson. They were doing that in London, and we don't have guns. I mean, we have mm-hmm. we have police officers with batons or like you know shields um and sticks we don't have we have guns when you know there's a bomb on a on, you know suspected bomb on a on, on, on a bit public transport or something but to say to say that is a that is a direct import and no no sort of um cultural uh sort of what do you mean uh, no cultural relevance there for yeah, that yeah exactly yeah so um it was kind of imported in we did still have a race report that was done about um maybe two years ago now, which was commissioned by the the Tory government, I think, to kind of, but it was, it wasn't, it was by independent researchers who looked at whether or not Britain was a systemically racist place. And mm. it kind of, it did, it concluded that whilst there is still work to be done in areas like online social media, I think um, sort of ways in which there was, there was initiatives that came out of it that said something like, um, we want to make sure that individuals who come from high crime areas and poor areas that are more likely to be um, from certain ethnic backgrounds, that we don't over police them to, to mm. such a degree that their freedoms are limited. So that was like that was like stopping small um, possessions of, of weed from becoming like completely criminalized. So there were things that were in there that were, that were there to sort of fix some of the inequalities. But generally speaking, it was trying to say from the report that, that Britain isn't is largely not a systemically racist country or um, place. And I think mm. the thing is that it, it still tried to make recommendations and it still tried to say we can improve stuff. But ultimately it said that sort of socioeconomic factors were were bigger, which I guess mm. isn't mm-hmm. a shock, mm-hmm. is it? But um that was lampooned and quite easily trod on by the me- me- media, by lots of people in the media. And what year was that, did you say? I think it was a couple of years ago, so maybe 2021. Okay, so think... after after the riots and after the George yeah. Floyd incident, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, we got sort of, we got the BBC and places like that sort of inviting mm. people on to talk about it. And um, you got the feeling that the... <laughs> They'd, they'd invited people on. We've we've invited the, the the Black Equalities Association representatives to come on and talk about the report that says there's no systemic racism in the country. And you kind of think, I wonder what I wonder what their position is going to be. Um, there didn't seem to be. A, they had the actual authors of the report were very much like um, trying to explain how their data was complicated and multi-layered and multifactorial and how the analysis has to be multifactorial but I just don't think anyone really understood it and it was quickly turned away as I don't know the Tory government trying to push racism under the carpet or something like that it was Mm. quite disappointing how it was received it was politicized pretty quickly it sounds like exactly yeah interesting so Mm. that that is interesting that it it there was a corresponding wave of administrative change mm-hmm. in terms of bringing in this whole critical social justice led DEI stuff. Yeah. 
that was simultaneous to what happened in the U.S. And that's really, I mean, it's really interesting. I don't like to get too deep in speculation because who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know. Go it's on. not my area. But no, please do. Speculate away. Well, it's just so coordinated. I mean, so like, like it was all just waiting to roll out, you know, like waiting for the right moment. Like we're going to, and I don't know. There was a there was a book that 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 I felt was almost like the UK version of uh, white fragility. It was something mm. like why I no longer talk to white people. And um, there was yeah, there was a girl in my year that was no, sorry, there was a girl in my service before I got onto the course that was reading it, and she's now on my course. Um, but I, I remember saying to her like, I know you're reading that. Would you like to just chat about that? Because I'd be interested in hearing your ideas. And she she we'd been talking me and her about getting onto the course and comparing notes about how we might get onto the training course and suddenly she went completely silent after that and I thought okay um, mm. these ideas aren't for, up for discussion but I remember thinking mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. that, that was working in tandem I think but so yeah know, that's interesting too that these ideas are not up for discussion and if you do want to discuss them we'll corral you into small groups like affinity groups or accountability groups and you can discuss them in there mm -hmm. and but we're going to we're going to make everything about these things and then we're going to forbid substantive discussion of them. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really have a question. <laughs> I just have, no, I know it's interesting. <laughs> what um, do you think about that? Well, I, I, I have, um, I've found that my questioning of the ideas on the course mm -hmm. has always has always provoked this it's not the same response but a similar response which i've always found quite interesting i'm still not sure how to explain the response completely but it's it's a sense in which even though there's people now on my course who i've gotten to know and we've had private one-to-one -one conversations about some of the some of the we had a whiteness day in my first year we've had plenty of weird days on intersectionality based ideas that have led to division and um we had a reflective group in which it, the facilitator um pretty much tried to start grouping people off in the group of, of based on skin color she started wow. saying things that pit, pit people against each other so even so that's been happening on, on the course and i've been playing this sort of i don't know what it is really i've thought to myself like there's no way I can challenge this stuff head on. So the only thing I can do is to start having little conversations in the corridor. I've, I've done this thing of like, um, <laughs> sometimes when like certain things are said, sometimes when you hear a real, like, like a zinger of a kind of like, um, like a, like a really confident statement about how whiteness is something. Mm -hmm. And you just think any, any person with, with, with a bit of self-awareness and a bit of a analytical brain who isn't maybe completely, indoctrinated by this stuff probably must wince a little bit so I sometimes just do a quick look around the room and I honestly have found a few people that way like um and there was um there was a girl who just kind of went like that and I mm. thought I'm gonna chat to her she ended up being in a placement um a few weeks later that I was in and I mm. said do you want to go for coffee and I started asking her questions and you know you get a sort of sense of like you know, how's the course going for you? What was it like last week? Yeah, you know, and and I, I eventually we started having a conversation. It turns out she's been, you know, she's been watching Jordan Peterson and she's a big fan mm. of like um, ideas that are very much in opposition to this. But she said to me, I, there's no way I'm saying anything on the course. There's mm. no way I'm saying anything. She says, I'm going to get qualified and then 
Yeah. And no. I kind of, yeah. I did point out. Her, yeah. I did point out to her that Jordan Peterson would probably say, um, you should get into the practice of asking questions now because <laughs> when you're more comfortable, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have gathered up the sort of, um, um, yeah, the, the the hardness that you need or the practice that you need to be to be someone who questions things anyway. But yeah. Well, that's a really rich topic right there, I think, is like when do you play it safe until you're in a more secure place and then you start? Or is that an illusion? Will you ever be in a more secure place or will you just be someone with more to lose? Right. And but right. but so you you have met her through just kind of observing the room while some of these really egregious and blatant things were being said and, and watching yeah. her expression and saying, I yeah. bet that's somebody who's got some, some thoughts about this. And then you're playing yeah. a Socratic role really in yeah. just questioning and just sort of exploring and asking people to explore. It sounds like you've been from the beginning, from the first time you were confronted with this as a, um, uh, an assistant psychologist on the job, uh, you haven't, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you haven't been too intimidated to ask things about it. Like a lot of people are just mm. um, silent and I, yeah. and and you've at least had the confidence to question it all along as it's been presented. Yeah. How, what's that experience been like? And is that, is that correct? Am I observing that correctly? No, you are. I think, you, well, I, hmm, you, I've been doing that, but I haven't, I, it hasn't been, um, hasn't been fun. <laughs> I, I definitely kind of, um, I spend a lot, of, I can spend a lot of time laying my head down on the, it's a bit of a cliche, but laying your head down on the pillow at the end of the night and going over the conversations you had before. And I know for a fact that it's like, um, if I don't ask a question, there are very few opportunities sometimes to ask a question, sometimes like a, of an idea. And I'm not like sometimes um, you can be in a situation with, say, like I was with a supervisor, um, with a supervisor that I trust, having had a conversation about something regarding it was just something regarding a diversity initiative. I thought to myself at that point, I thought this isn't going to come up again. Like this is I'm going to have to ask a question because if mm -hmm. I don't think next week's supervision we're going to have that opportunity next week's supervision mm -hmm. maybe it has to come now and if i don't i will kick myself if i don't i guess and um the, it's not always been pretty i think um i think one of the things that happened for me on the whiteness day was that we had all three cohorts in the same auditorium and we were told that the whiteness day was going to be something that yeah all all three cohorts would come along to um what um, what is a whiteness day yeah <laughs> if you sure. don't mind i don't want to cut in but i'm wondering no what no the sorry i had to explain that yeah. what, what, did you, what did you have in your in your head was it like <laughs> clan members or something yeah um, well it sounds like it sounds like a day to celebrate whiteness but i know no. that's not what this ideology <laughs> does so i'm like what the heck is it well in a way in a way it does talk about how powerful it is and how yeah anyway yeah but, yeah but it's it sort of um so it was called i keep calling it the whiteness day it was called addressing whiteness mm. and then before the end of i think the week beforehand it was retitled talking whiteness okay. and um so it was it was billed as a sort of opportunity to talk about race and oppression and whiteness um and yeah i mean I guess from there, what we had was an auditorium full of three cohorts coming together 
Um, some members of the some members of the facilities, some members of the teaching staff were there. I think quite a lot of them, and so they had brought a guest speaker in, for, I think, from another clinical psychology course, to talk about whiteness. The presentation was just called whiteness, and I, I, what I what I quite liked about the presentation was what I liked about it. Should I just say not that much, but was that it did it did do a good job of talking about how like immigration policy in the UK or um, you know certain communities like those that came over on, over on HMS Windrush in the 1950s from the Caribbean have been marginalized and whose rights and viewpoints have been brushed on the carpet for so long. She talked about Enoch Powell and like the Rivers of Blood speech, which is a famous speech about like, which really rallied, it was a kind of, it was a, I guess in modern terms, you'd say it was a bit like a Brexit style mm -hmm. conversation about sort of how immigrants are going to start coming into your country and overwhelm you and swarm you sort of thing. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so I thought that was useful. It's useful to think about those things and reflect upon those things. Because she's giving like a historical overview of racial dynamics mm -hmm. in, in modern times in the UK, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's useful, useful to reflect on. But mm -hmm. that was the start. And then it was like, that was the, the first act. The second act was, she unveiled it. It was a PowerPoint presentation where some <laughs> curtains opened up and it just said whiteness. And then... <laughs> And then I was just like, it just kind of torpedoed from there. I was like, wow, what a strange switch. She then started talking about um, uh, knowledge and power in this kind of Foucault kind of um, way. She started talking about intersectionality and she started saying that whiteness is these things. And it was one of those infographics that I'm sure a lot of people have seen now that whiteness, we talk about whiteness and we mean um, being on time or like... Um, yeah privilege these these kind of things or to privilege objectivity to privilege sci scientific inquiry or something is mm -hmm. a tool of whiteness so she did that and then we had breakout rooms in which we were asked kind of questions like um discuss within your uh your your workshop team or group um what is whiteness to you when did you first encounter whiteness um what would you do to combat whiteness so it was all these coercive kind of style questions that we're supposed to then talk about amongst ourselves in small groups. And um, I knew this stuff was probably happening. Obviously I'd spoken by this point to Helen. I was now in a counterweight group that I was running sort of thing. And so I found, maybe I was a bit heavy handed, but I went in with a kind of sense of, I'm gonna ask some questions. So I did. And I sort of said like, uh, I, one of the questions I asked was like, a lot of these ideas can be based around critical theory. And um, and did ideas. you did you ask this in the big group or in your breakout group? In the big group. Oh, so in the big was, group. Okay. There was there was about a hundred people in there, so I just put my hand up. Okay. So again, sorry, your original question, Leslie, was like, what what was it like to to ask these? I was shaking when I did it. Yeah. Um, I, I really was because I knew what I knew what was happening. Like, mm -hmm. all started looking at me like, who's this guy? So I sort of said, is critical theory and 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 um. I don't think I can't remember much of the response, but it was it was sort of there'll be some critical theory, there'll be some, lots of other ideas thrown in as well. Okay, and then um, someone said something about um, this isn't some this isn't a day in which we're going to talk about data or where we're at versus where we're going. This is a this is a chance to just explore subjective feelings or something. It was something like that. And I just sort of said, how do we, if we don't talk about where we are, where we're going, like some stats about racism in the UK or, you know, 
poverty or something like that. How do we know that what we're doing isn't improving or making any differences? And how do we not know that if we don't set goals? And I think I said something like that. And then the, the comment from the front was, goals is another tool of whiteness. Um, well, what the heck? I mean, it's an educational setting. It's kind of... Uh, the, I'm sorry. I, I'm just like reacting to that because that's please react. <laughs> the, the, if you're not supposed to talk about goals, if you're not supposed to talk about data, and you're not supposed to have any purpose to this event except for a subjective emotional venting, why are you paying for this? Why are why is this part of a an educational yeah. course? And what doesn't that under that doesn't that like sort of undermine the entire educational process if if these things are to be dismissed, sorry. It does. No, it yeah. does. It's it's so obviously not um, setting up a good environment for education that you think you do think why the why yeah. did you say that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think what's happened with the course, and I'm starting to learn this now, is that the course staff, I think, are constantly remodeling these efforts that they're putting in. They they're not they're not prepared to throw out the ideas or or even question them, but they'll just remodel it based upon the feedback they get each time they run it. So I think that that was them doing some extra T's and C's because last time they run it, you know, pesky, pesky students like me asked about data. So mm -hmm. they probably said, why don't we next time we'll, we'll quash that by saying, we're not here to talk about data, mm -hmm. but it's just insane, quite frankly. But um, yeah, um, yeah. Go so on. what did you learn about Whiteness. whiteness yeah <laughs> so um another question i asked was about this so i asked i remember asking like um this idea of power and knowledge i said um oh yeah that was it i said how do you know you're not you're not by saying that whiteness is all these things how do you know you're not i think i said something like disenfranchising people who aren't white by saying, by basically implying that they can't access those things because of the color of their skin. So it felt very much like I wasn't, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to just go in and say, isn't it's a bit unfair that you're portraying these white people like this? Cause guess what? I'm, I'm a white guy, but I just thought I can, it's quite easy for me to be an advocate for the shadow side of that, which is you're basically saying that what, non-white people can't be involved in science, scientific inquiry. They can't be involved in that stuff. So you just, so I just said that and then, um, the, the the woman who was doing the lecture obviously wasn't interested in having much discourse because she ended up saying, what what would you think we should do then about that? Mm. You're, she goes, you've obviously got a problem with it. She'd had, she heard a few questions before. And then I thought, okay, well, I, um, I, I just sort of said, well, I think we should be creating a space for, I can't remember exactly what I said. I think I said, I think we should be, we should be creating a space for um, people to come into our therapeutic, in you know, our therapeutic space and exp explore i think i said something like explore their own sense of autonomy and identity and things like that on their terms rather than anything we're putting on them and i said fostering a level of in which they they have fostering some sense in which they have some control over their lives is surely a part of what we should be doing rather than telling them based upon the color of their skin they don't have control on their life I think I just said something like that. And I'm quite happy I did that off the cuff because again, I was I was pretty shaky. And like I had friends next to me who I think at that point were looking at me like, Dave, what are you doing? You're like you literally sort of um 
you're doing like sort of social suicide almost putting and, a bullseye on your back yeah and I think they also felt that I was putting a bullseye on their backs because mm. um it was sort of guilt by association for a little bit after that um mm. and even my even my kind of friends who I'd made on the course up to that point um I think they weren't a bit they weren't they, they weren't as in touch for a little bit and yeah I did feel very ostracized I was kind of it was I, I felt sick in the morning going into mm. university because I thought even people like I maybe didn't know quite as well would give me the sort of cold shoulder, wouldn't look me in the eyes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess I'd become the 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 easy target, really. Sort of, um, he's he's the thing that we're he's the kind of racism that we're talking about that exists, but no one really knows where it is. But we've got something now. We've got sort of a corporeal target. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You stood up and uh, made yourself an effigy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can really relate to that, that right. feeling, like you say, being sick when you go in and just that it was, it, it was such a humiliating process for me to be that person also standing right. up to that at the time when, when I was asking similar questions in a course, and that was just a small class <laughs> that wasn't like a three cohort, large auditorium, as you're describing, it sounds like it was, it was quite a, you know, quite an audience you had. Yeah. Well, how did you get through that yourself then, Leslie? Because like that that process of of being seen as the sort of yeah the the the, the, the infidel or, or just the unclean something something's wrong with them. I didn't see it before. Now I see it. Well, it was really awful. It? Yeah, it was awful. I I don't think I got through it very well at the time. I mean, I I um I cried a number of times. I just can remember sitting in my room and at my house like making dinner and I had to just stop and go in my room and and have a breakdown because it was really hard it's really yeah. hard to have um especially having a professor who was engaging in a dialogue with me and when she would when I would see that there was a new comment on one of my papers I would have that uh, just that sick feeling I didn't want to look at it but I also needed to look at it and and then I would read that I was just re reacting from white privilege and it was it was so invalidating and it was so and but then it makes you question yourself at a really deep level and yeah. so I was doing this like self-searching am I really what she's saying I am no I don't think I am and and that is so that that experience that you describe of having someone like Helen that you could talk to who could say firmly no this is what you're experiencing this yeah. is what they're doing this is why you feel that way yeah. um that that's what i found through cta and that was extremely helpful to me yeah yeah i know i sort of i got a lot from cta as well and still do but that was so important for me as well i mean i was i was ill for a little while afterwards we had this group this group that i told you about which involved sort of um, the facilitator who who had definitely critical theory as mm. a backdrop in her own mind. She kept mm. quoting Paolo Freire, and, and, and mm. I knew what the game was. I knew what she was doing. So she would talk about master-slave kind of ideas, where we talked about getting on with our 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 sort of um, our supervisors on placement. People would be sat there talking about their difficulties on the course because that was what the group facilitation environment was for. And she would sort of <laughs> blueprint on some master slave uh, mm. uh, dynamic. And you just think it's so, so unhelpful. I remember yeah. saying, no, I, I said, I don't see it like that. I see, if anything, maybe they're slaves of the of the machine, our supervisors, and we're the 
with the people who are not as chained to that system as them i don't know mm-hmm. but there's different ways to look at it mm-hmm. but anyway in that in one of those settings there was a conversation afterwards about the whiteness day and i felt again like the eyes were on me and um um one of the facilitators other facilitators i think probably knew me or knew i don't know if she did actually but she she sort of did anyone find that a stimulating event and did anyone not and i thought oh, I have to say something and I sort of said I did I found it very dehumanizing actually mm-hmm. and then a few other people said that and then but then she st- she started to kind of like single people out and the sort of feeling in the room was so awful um that I I, I and the feeling of which I couldn't work out afterwards how much I'd, I'd created that or how mm-hmm. much the kind of looks that I was getting from people like the looks you get from people I think to myself like I was getting looks from people that could only mean that I was I was some sort of an abuser or something like mm. I I really felt like just by saying I didn't agree with some of these ideas and questioning them people were looking at me like I was really like a real fucking I'd done something wrong. I don't know it so that stayed with me I could remember the looks on their faces afterwards mm. I really stayed with me for a while afterwards and I was I was a bit a bit unwell for about a week but wow I don't think people on the course know that about me. And I don't think even the people the friends of mine on the course know that, that know, I went through. Know that um, you had that internal process. Yeah. I think I just bottled it up and I just, I sort of went home. And, um, I realized that I realized that I had the support I needed from like CTA and, and the counterweight group I was doing at the time mm-hmm. that, that could help me through and process it. But um, it was tough. Yeah. I just wanted to say that Leslie, because um I don't want to make it seem like I could just go into these things and they didn't have an effect on me they definitely did no I think that's a really I think that's a good thing to point out because it's it's so hard you know especially if you're someone who cares about other people and has a high degree of empathy and has good you know social skills you want to be in a position of getting along that's you're oriented towards wanting to find agreement to some extent within a group and to be the one who stands up and says no mm-hmm. it, for for people who are oriented that way it does take a toll it's not you're going against big parts of yourself yeah to to do that and when you're feeling shunned and you're feeling judged like that and yeah. so it, there's the two parts of self there's the part of you that wants to be honest and wants to be consistent and have integrity with your with your morals and your values that feels mm-hmm. compelled to to speak up when something seems wrong but there's that other part of you that wants to be accepted by the group yeah and and you're having to choose and it's you know either way one of those parts of you is going to feel a lot of turmoil you're going to go home and like you said set lay your head on the pillow at night and wish that you had said something or you're going to go home and feel terrible that you yeah are an outcast in this group yeah. now or yeah yeah absolutely i mean i've got a question for you lizzie i wonder if 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 i don't know what it's like with um do you have any connections with uh people on the antioch course anymore i don't know i don't i um i was at antioch seattle for oh i guess about a year and maybe not quite a year and then i transferred to the new england online program because of the problems at the Seattle campus. It was not just the DEI stuff that was the mo- that was most of it, but there were other just administrative things. I, I could go into them, but they'd be boring. Um, 
um, okay. there were, but there were significant problems that I, it was not just me. It was a lot of people in my cohort were having mm -hmm. difficulty. Several people dropped out of the program and I spoke with the department chair and I, I had, had enough credits then that if I wanted to transfer to another school, I would lose quite a bit. So I was able to keep all of my credits if I stayed within the Antioch system, but that meant going into an online program, online base. And so I kind of lost touch with the cohort that I'd been with at Antioch Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't keep in touch. There was one girl I kept in touch with for a while, but with COVID, she wasn't wanting to um, really connect at all in person. And we sort of fizzled out as well. So okay. um, I, I had people that I was paired with over the time that I was working there as um, you do these, uh, you know, mock therapy things where you get paired with different people throughout the course. Yeah. And uh, we had good connections with everybody, but never formed anything lasting. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And well, I guess the reason I was asking is because I'm interested in the idea that like how if you can be sort of shunned and outcasted or 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 shown to be an infidel, like do you ever get past that? Because I've I've even got moments. I'm even talking to friends now who who know me pretty well now. They know that there's not something. Um, well, they don't know this for sure because we don't. None of us know this for sure. We shall do our own work, right? But there's probably not something really de sort of deeply nefarious about me the way that that they, they some of them were late, maybe looking at me about a year ago. But even the friends that I have on the course, they they're still quite. Um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently who, who she sort of said you really shouldn't have asked those questions mm. during that whiteness day, mm. and I said why why is it you think that still even after you know me even after you know the rationale for why I was doing that. And even actually while you still agree, I think she kind of agrees mostly with some of the points mm -hmm. I've made. She's fairly liberal-minded, it turns out, but she's never thought about it too much. But she she sort of said to me, it's you must have known you were saying some controversial things then. Hmm. And I sort of said, well, what did I actually say that was controversial? And then she didn't really have an answer. And then I said, okay, well, um, she said it wasn't the con it wasn't the what you said it was the way you said it and she says you must have known that you were putting a target on your back hmm. um and there's this kind of sense in which for whatever reason that moment i think in that day is just will just let last with people in their memories of the it's way it's really you pivotal for you it's just yeah it's just yeah and it's just it's just kind of like maybe there's a part of me that wants a bit of a redemption arc here that's just kind of like we can see some of the madness that's happening. I think even on the course now, actually, it's worth saying that mm -hmm. I think people are starting to question things a bit more on the course from different part, points of view. Those people that I've um, spotted and I've managed to sort of make friends with along this line um, are starting to speak out a little bit, ask mm -hmm. a few more questions. And there's just a growing sense that we can talk about this in the corridors together, even if we don't talk about it in the actual classroom. But there's a redemption for me one I want there. <laughs> selfishly wants people to kind of go oh right well you went through something there mm -hmm. um and maybe there were some legitimate reasons to ask those questions but um yeah I don't know I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon you, you know it, it did sort of happen for me a little bit that mm. that feeling uh I um it was a lonely experience to be the one 
asking these kind of questions back in a class, especially when I didn't feel like I could articulate my thoughts very well. I didn't have at, at the point where I was taking the course that was the, you know, the most blatant experience of this that I had, which is the most yeah. analogous to what you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a language for it. I didn't know critical social justice theory. I was still being, you know, just honestly grappling with the information in a naive way. Right. And so uh, my questions weren't great. It was just like, that doesn't really make sense. And that sort of sounds contradictory to this other thing, but I'm trying to also phrase it in the most polite way possible. And there was one, I, I got a lot of pushback. I got told that I was um, gonna harm my minority clients in, in front of the classroom was told that I would, I would be, I needed to reparent myself so that I didn't harm my minority clients in the future with my white ideas and um, reparent myself. Yeah, I found that so condescending. And she said it in front of the class and then later denied it, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, it really, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then at one point the teacher started to cry, uh, late in the, in the quarter, she, um, during one of these exchanges, she started to cry in the class and, and said that she had used her emotional labor and that, I, you know, I was being, I was not being grateful for her emotional labor that she'd put into this or something like that. And it was just this, like, you could hear a pin drop. Here's the teacher standing at the front of the class crying. And there's me sitting there in the middle of the room with people looking at me like what have you done to this poor woman and i'm i'm like i just asked questions i don't i don't understand what just happened but there was mm -hmm. it i felt horrible you know i felt it, it was a very yucky experience <laughs> yucky in such a um <laughs> highbrow word there but it was um <laughs> it i did have um a girl approached me from that class. I didn't know her well. I maybe had spoken with her yeah. a couple of times during the course. She approached me several quarters later, my final quarter at that campus. And I was in the break room warming up tea or something. And she mm -hmm. came over and said, I just want to thank you for the way that you um, asked questions in that multicultural class. That that right. was really helpful. And, and that was it. I mean, it was just like just one little sentence and it you know it really illuminated that you don't know what's going on in people's minds when they're not speaking right exactly that's so powerful that's so powerful but it, for someone to have just allowed you a little insight into what it was actually that was going on in their mind mm -hmm. for you to suddenly connect to them and to feel less like a one person island yeah that's so important I can imagine that there must be people who feel that way about what you've said. And it sounds like you're seeing more movement in that direction. People who are feeling like they can speak about it or speak to you about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's people who've, there's, there's a, there's a girl on the course who said the other day in the reflective group, she goes, I'm black. I get it. Yeah. Can you stop going on about that? Like she actually sort of said, you know, I, 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 I really think so. <laughs> socioeconomics and, and class is a bigger factor so you know mm. she's there's a sense in which she's a bit sick and tired of, of not being treated like an individual you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um which it feels like a really natural place to come it's it's like 
why like <laughs> part of me thinks about the fact that this journey we've gone on and maybe maybe you conclude yourself in this i don't know of, of getting to know the helen pluckrose james Lindsay, csj information it has been it has been really useful for me and it has to kind of know where i stand so that i can feel confident in asserting what i do but mm-hmm. it's also just really lovely when people just go oh this is i'm just sick of being treated like or, or being talked to in this way or mm-hmm. this is just silly or ugh. someone said to the other day it feels really like it's, it's political correctness gone mad which i haven't heard that phrase in years mm-hmm. <laughs> i think people said that but someone said it on the course about what's been happening and i thought even though that feels a little bit <laughs> disconnected from say this modern interpretation stuff i appreciated the fact that they'd come to this point they just sort of felt like oof. It's like a gut level rejection rather than this high level analysis that you need to like really spend your life understanding this. (laughs) It's almost like that's giving it too much power in a way. And when somebody can just say, isn't this silly? It's the simple dismissal that this stuff really deserves. Yeah. There's a guy on my, um, there's a guy on my group, uh, shout out to Jamie, but um, he had, he was telling me, it was telling the group, sorry, that that, that 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 he likes to just sort of say, oh, that's silly. You know, that's, you really believe in that? Nah, that's stupid. And then it does, it takes the power away. It just kind of, it's a great way of just kind of going, I don't have to give that much time or attention. That doesn't need to have any power. That's just silly. And I, I, I mean, with all the rap, I mean, I, I, yeah, I sometimes look at that and I think I could learn a little bit from that approach, you know? Oh, I think that's really, that's really nice. It's refreshing to hear that take yeah definitely so uh, one question kind of going back to the the diagram of whiteness and what was so good and all these these characteristics that you you mentioned timeliness and data and scientific inquiry and uh and i i've seen these things too but i haven't spent a lot of time with them one thing i wonder is it sounds like it's kind of a list of characteristics that one would need in order to be successful in modern life. And those are being attributed to, to whiteness. Is there, a, is there a similar diagram of what is not whiteness? And are there any positive characteristics there that would lead to success? Or is this simply a way to, by association, demonize success qualities and ask people to accept an underachiever lifestyle? That's such a good question. Um, I was just imagining a, a, a the inverse infographic of yeah. non-white, and it's like it's it's being late. It's yeah. it's yeah, subjective feelings. Yeah, inaccurate scientific inquiry rather than accurate or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how we've gotten to this point. I mean, I remember. Um, yeah, I remember in that back and forth I had with. Um, the present presenter in the whiteness day she said um she said something like well, what would you what do you think we're missing out she was getting quite annoyed with me i think she'd been annoyed by i think she, this was the culmination of me asking four questions or something by this point she said well, what do you think we're leaving out and i just went merit we're leaving out merit and um she said something about something else and then there was a there's this back and forth happening in an auditorium full of people so it's kind of weird and i was right at the back as well but she said something like um um oh that was it that was when i then made a point about uh how people you know people who aren't born in with a white born into having a white skin can't have access to these things is that seriously what you're saying and she says well i wouldn't say it like that because i tell my kids to 
you know, go home, go, go to work and work hard and stuff like that. And I said, okay, so that is that is that is merit. That's working hard, isn't it? On some level. And at this point, the one of the other facilitators that was on the stage kind of said, okay, I think we'll. Thanks very much for your time. You know, for asking questions, David, or whatever. But but we'll carry on with the presentation now, sort of thing. And I don't know. I don't know if this is answering your question, but I wonder if 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 do, do we just have to, are these are these the terms and conditions that get get mounted up and they go right merit <laughs> merit is a tool of whiteness that goal that goal question about whiteness earlier we'll 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 get by that just by saying goals is a tool of whiteness and so is merit and so is i don't know it, it or, is, or i guess the other point you're saying leslie is 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 that it, it, yeah what what was the other point of what you're saying because you were basically saying that are we are we literally looking at what it's like to be successful in society and then saying you can't do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's really, uh, I mean, it seems like a highly racist, highly white supremacist kind of worldview to say white people can do these things, but but if you're not white, you should hate these things and you shouldn't do them. And so it's like set yourself up to fail in modern society if you're not white because you want to shun those behaviors. And white people, you should go ahead and do them because you're white and you can't change that, but you should feel bad about it while you're doing it. And just, it's it's just, it feels like it's very condescending yeah. towards anybody who's not white. Of course, of course. That's, that's my read on it. It's just that it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly undervaluing or underestimating the potential of a person no, based on it skin is. color. It is. And, and I think, I think thinking about the whole, like um, the, the whole, coming at it from a CSJ, thinking about critical social justice and mm -hmm. the reasons why we disagree with this stuff. Um, I've just been thinking that like the the best way to talk about it, maybe in, in, in a conversational way, or maybe even asking questions in my class is, is to take a bit more of an approach of just talking about um, how art or culture or history or literature none of these things are really being brought into conversations around intersectionality it's just so boring it's so turgid it's just like it doesn't do anything to encapsulate the transcendent nature than which we human beings can plug into sometimes if we let ourselves um but it, it yeah and i think that speaks to people on a better level we've had to, to kind of just go to what we had recently which was a day on power privilege and diversity um, there were people talking there about the fact that intersectionality doesn't feel like it really talks about the individual and that individuals are more than just these boxes. And this came from someone who said that in the in the group. I was so surprised because I could have quite I could have easily put her down as a, a woke person mm. a year ago by some of the things that she was saying. But she's now getting this niggling suspicion that this this isn't this, this isn't enough. This isn't nourishing. And mm. I'm really chuffed to see that um that reaction bubbling up in people to be fair does it give you a sense of optimism about where this is going yeah it really does these are people who don't have to uh, people i mean maybe they have i don't know <laughs> but they haven't had to form a a group not that i've i mean obviously i've really benefited from in going my own journey and forming a group with counterweight and now solid ground and having communities and talking to wonderful people like yourself leslie but like I, I, there's also a sense in which I've spent a lot of time on this, mm -hmm. but there's people coming to this themselves now and just feeling maybe more experientially that this this stuff isn't the answer. This is 
oh, it's getting boring or it's getting dull. It's just, and I love, I love, I love the idea that that's that's how how the culture is reacting to it now, rather than having to go right. Well, no, postmodernism and and social constructionism aren't the only lenses to look at the world. I don't think that resonates with people, does it? Yeah, and I think that something I've I've sort of thought about, and I haven't, I don't know if I've really articulated this very well, but I have this sense that the you know one of our hopes in the future is the young generation, <clears throat> because kids are it's part of their roadmap to do some rebellion against established thought and established practice. And as this stuff becomes the established thing in their schools and what they're hearing, surely there's going to be some sort of a rebellion against it, some sort of a backlash from kids that rejects this sort of thing. That's what kids should do, isn't it? Kids should rebel. So yeah, I hope there's a rebellious spirit coming that way. And do you think there's any clues in, in that happening? Have they done polls or anything like that? On I don't know. That your, that your, I'd yeah, be so. interested in seeing that. I mean, I right, right now it feels like one of the biggest pushes is to program the kids. And so there's this there's this flight away from schools. People are homeschooling like crazy, you know, pulling their kids out because the the social justice ideology, the the racial hatred, the racial division, and the gender ideology that's being pumped into the schools just feels like it's taking the place of mm. the reasons we want our children in, in school in the first place, which is reading, writing, arithmetic, and getting along with others. And it's <laughs> being supplanted by this kind of ideological framework. Yeah. So I, I don't know I if there's any sign of that. I think that's more just like a developmental I, a prediction based on human nature do you even think this may be a do you think are you getting a sense that there's a doubling down is there a is there even a sense in which this is being pushed more now that there's a sense in which people are rebelling against it or, or noticing it more i don't know you know it's it's hard to say i i don't know that i'm the expert on that but my sense is that it's coming in very strong right now yeah mm-hmm yeah, from what I'm hearing from people in groups, um, people's experiences with it in their kids' schools and in their own workplaces, it does feel like that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if, I mean, in, 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 in still in the big, big organizations in the UK, in the psychology world, like the British Psychological Society, um, and you know, even in the NHS, there's there's a there's a push in these areas too, in equity, diversity, inclusion. And um, I'm just speaking to some course uh, uh, people on, on another, another part of the course today, who really feel like uh, there's there's a there's an energy that's horrible in in their cohort, but they don't know how to put words to it. And um, um, I've I've I remember this is literally just today. I had some conversations with them, and I. And I was sort of saying, try and explain some of the ideas, I guess, behind, you know, critical social justice and how this is antithetical to like liberal values and stuff like that. And I remember just thinking, I've lost, I've lost, I think I've lost them here. <laughs> I'm not sure they're really paying attention um, in the same way. Or maybe they, they just, it's, yeah, I, we need a better language for this stuff, don't we? We need um, people to feel safe and secure enough to be able to challenge it. Um, mm. Just hope that we get, we get sort of the, the cultural immune system manages to develop a bit more of a hard skin almost, you know? 
Yeah, I hope so too. And I have the sense that it's through conversation that we can get there. It's like the conversations that you're having when you are able to have a conversation with, um, say the girl you saw make the face in the, in the class and it opens up into something where you two are able to just openly and candidly discuss your thoughts around what's happening that makes it more likely that she's going to be able to have a conversation like that with somebody else and yeah. and so on and so forth. And it's just this, I think it's, it, the, the structure of it becomes more porous when there's more ability for conversational flow yeah. that, that descends from it. And so that's what I've really enjoyed about this project of these dialogues. It's yeah. just, hearing how that's going for different people, uh, the feedback that I get is that it really helps other people to feel like they can carry forward those conversations as well in their own lives. And I think that's the way we do it. I think it's going to be death by a thousand cuts really yep. to this DEI stuff. Yeah. Well said. I hope so too. Um, I, one more thing I wanted to ask you about, I know we're kind of drawing to a close, but, or mm -hmm. to, to the end of an hour or so, but one thing I wanted to ask you about, there's, we in our solid ground groups i know there's been some interest in having a men's group yeah and i think that's really interesting and i think it's it, if it's if it's helpful it seems like a really great idea i know men have been that that's something we haven't even talked about that's like we could spend a whole hour talking about that and and in addition to what we just talked about it's yeah. such a big topic but um uh could you say a little bit about that what's the What's the interest? What is the benefit? Mm. And and how is it different from what your um, supervisor would have called for? What's the, you know, like flesh that out for me. Yeah. If you don't no, mind. that's a really, that's, I like the way you drew that distinction um, with the comparison. The, uh, do you know what? I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, um, I remember even when I was applying for the doctorate course, people would say to me, or, or I'd ask people for like advice and they'd say, maybe you could say, talk a bit about how um, being a male in, in, in psychological world puts you in a, um, as a minority and maybe you, you, there's men's issues that you think, and men don't maybe access therapy as much as women do. So maybe there's an angle there. And I, I remember thinking like, I don't know if I, I obviously I <laughs> care about men's issues and, and things like that, but I don't really think, kind of separately about that I don't know if I want to position myself as moving separately into that sort of area and I didn't see myself in that way either but um the more that I've spoken to people on the course there's a couple of guys on the course I speak to about um things now luckily we've managed to open up a dialogue about things and masculinity has come up a few times and what is it like to be not just a man on the course but feeling like um is there even a place for masculinity masculinity in society? And I have no idea how to answer that question, but it's a fascinating question. <laughs> and what is a healthier form of masculinity? And what is, or 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 a, um, a more that I had I had a, had some people on the course recently talking about how some clients of theirs were men who were watching Andrew Tate videos and mm. the way that it was treated by the uh people on my course was oof sort of um you know oh oh wow it must be difficult for you to work with those people or there was a real sense in which you've uncovered some nasty people that you're working with there and I thought okay an interesting question would be why is it people are why is it young men are moving towards 
Andrew Tate? Why mm. is that? Why is it there's something about this guy that's really drawing them in? I mean, it could just be the fast cars or the the money and all that sort of stuff. But what is it culturally about Andrew Tate that seems to really be um, hypnotizing men? He's giving them something, but he is giving something to them. I think it's an alternative narrative, perhaps to some narratives that are swimming around at the minute, which basically just talk about toxic masculinity as being, you know, try and keep yourself um, repressed, repress mm -hmm. that masculinity because mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be accepted by the women in your life. It, and it's, it's, it's oppressive. So you have that narrative or you have a narrative about um, embracing masculinity and going out there and, 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 and I don't know, carving your own path out. Now, one of these is, I guess, Andrew Tate probably has some slightly sort of um, distasteful angles to the, the, the stuff that he does. I don't really know him that well, but it's an interesting idea, isn't it? That there isn't this place for like healthier masculinity or healthy role models. And I just think, yeah, I don't know. That's my that's my thoughts, Leslie. I I I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to start having a conversation about it with people before I maybe say too much about it because I, 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 I yeah there's a lot to discuss really that's really interesting and I I think that it's it's it parallels something when when you're talking about that I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking I can see that as well I can see like these these strong figures these strong masculine figures that are so magnetically um interesting and drawing the attention of young young men in particular like even jordan peterson is another example he's yeah. a very different kind of person to andrew tate but still that's that there's that that archetypal masculinity yeah. that you're seeing represented and the the strength of the draw indicates that there's something there that's maybe been missing or that hasn't right. been represented fully yeah. and then the same with with femininity and i i just feel like this could almost wish we'd started talking about this earlier because it's such a big big topic and i don't want to um maybe we can have a part two sometime or we can talk about this on solid ground i think this would be yeah. great but um with femininity we see this the cultural representation is very much like this performance of feminine styling mm -hmm. you know we see one aspect of femininity really celebrated and, and overrepresented. And that's the, the, the youthful, um, fertile, the sexuality, the, um, all the, the symbols of, of, of basically of that, of, of, of sexual attraction. And that's what we're really being fed in terms of femininity. We don't see the other side. Where's the where's the matriarch? Where's the mother with the children and and the grandmother? And where do we see the fullness of representation of femininity? We don't see it. In fact, now we have like one of the examples that I've I found so egregious in my in my program is the AFAB people with vulvas. Like we're going to talk about people like this, and we're going to you know identify women by their having a uterus or by being a menstruator or being a birthing person. And it just, it, it not only takes, it takes so much away from what it means to be a human being and to be embodied. And yeah. I, I see that on the masculine and on the, on the feminine. So I, I think if people would benefit from having groups where they felt like they could explore that, it seems yeah. like a great idea where anything yeah. could be brought up. 
yeah john there was something <laughs> have we still got time because there's something like you, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah let's take a couple more minutes yeah okay there was there was i was listening to have you heard of louise perry who i was, have yeah i read her book recently oh you it read a book? fantastic oh, have, have you read it no but maybe i should oh, read it yeah um, it was really good okay i just listened to like a half of a video recently i'm sorry i won't take up much more time but she was mm -hmm. i was i was really interested in the idea she was talking to like a um uh only fans creator and they were talking about like culturally the yeah the pros and cons mm -hmm. or the, the cultural mm -hmm. sort of like um yeah context around these things and she sort of said so as they were talking i was thinking there's something really interesting about different sides of the aisle coming together and representing the same phenomenon and i was thinking like if masculinity is just becoming this toxic thing and men are just these oppressors if you follow that narrative then in a way like louise perry is talking about the idea that that, that, that this modern world is is not helping mm -hmm. women in any way it, it, well there's lots of ways in which it's not helping women and she and, and, and there was there's a sense in which if if all we've got is toxic masculinity we need that women need to take back a certain level of power themselves and and that's what she was kind of advocating to this only fans creator and this only fans creator was kind of saying no but we need to be more like we need to be more like men in our sexuality and i just remember just thinking that's this is a whole fascinating topic anyway that that, that maybe we should get into another time um, no it's <laughs> super fascinating i agree yeah. and 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 one of the things that i feel like i could I would love to, to have some time to talk about, and I don't know if we can address this on solid ground or if maybe we can do a part two or something. Team on a Monday. Yeah, 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 I think that'd be great. But one of the topics that I would love to get into is the topic of pornography, because yeah. I think that pornography has been an extremely damaging force. And this is a thread that Louise Perry weaves through her book as well. I think that she did a really good job of addressing it. And I've heard other people talk about it too. Megan Murphy talks about it. And I, I, um, I think that it's it's an incredibly divisive tool that has taken a lot of the energy away from relationships and has changed the way people relate to one another and changed the way people see each other and see themselves. And I think, oh, it's it's hard to even talk about it in broad strokes because it's there's so much to say there. But yeah. Okay. That's a weird place to leave it, isn't it, David? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any um any final thoughts or um, no, recommendations? I definitely we'll, <laughs> we'll start another fifteen minutes off probably. But, <laughs> um, no, um, no I, I guess uh, if, if people want to come and have these long-winded but nourishing chats, <laughs> there's loads of them that are happening. Uh, on the solid ground there we do and I'm doing a plug for solid ground yeah um, that's great but like yeah I I, I, I absolutely love and adore going on the group um, I do one on a Tuesday um, but there's other ones during the week that yourself Jen and, mm -hmm. and you do and yeah this is this is where I get a lot of the a lot of the intellectual nourishment from it's not necessarily from the course but I appreciate um, what you're doing Leslie and I appreciate the time you've given me today yeah thanks David it's it's always great to talk with you and I really um I am grateful for the time you've given to have this conversation and, and talk more about your experiences so thank, thank you, you.